So what are some things that we can do or consider in your estate plan so that this doesn't happen to your family? Contrary to the belief that legal documents can sometimes cause conflict or disrupt family harmony, they often, in more, more cases than, than not, help preserve that relationship by providing a clear roadmap as to how things are going to be distributed, how things should be administered asset-wise. And so people know your wishes. So these children of yours know your wishes with regard to your estate plan. And that reduces anxiety and it reduces conflicts amongst your children and siblings, right? And so legal documents really do help. Okay, and that's what I do for a living. That's what I'm trying to impart here in this podcast is how important it is to have legal documents in place to prevent these issues. You are listening to the Legacy Talk podcast hosted by James A. Jones, attorney at law and founder of Sound Legacy Law, PLLC in Tacoma. Attorney Jones is here to talk about how to best protect your family, assets, and wealth. Pulling stories from his more than 20 years of helping families and business owners protect their assets, create their estate plans, preserve their wealth, and plan for the future. Nobody wants to think about estate planning, but life has a way of sneaking up on you. And at any moment, something unexpected could happen that will leave you regretting not having acted sooner. So join Attorney James A. Jones in the Legacy Talk podcast and together learn how to plan for your future today and have peace of mind tomorrow. Welcome to Legacy Talk. I'm your host, James Jones. I'm an estate planning attorney from Tacoma, Washington. I've been practicing over 20 years, and my main practice areas are estate planning, probate, and estate administration. On Legacy Talk, we discuss topics surrounding families and estates. Estate planning can often be a confusing and complicated topic, but my goal with this podcast is to make it understandable and accessible to those who need it. So if this is something that interests you, I'd appreciate it if you Click that subscribe button and like this episode so that you can follow along as we break down the barriers to estate planning. I'm excited to get to today's topic. So today's topic is sibling harmony and estate planning, debunking the belief that good relations trump legal documents so you can avoid some pitfalls when creating your own estate plan. So on today's show, we're talking about sibling harmony and estate planning debunking the belief that good relations trump legal documents. So let's get to it. We live in a world today that is full of contention. The root of this contention is varied, as you know. It can be politics or sports or politics or mostly politics these days, it seems to me. In my professional world, though, the contention usually originates in families, at the family level. What once was a happy and content family can turn into a group of strangers screaming at each other, a landing spot for hurt feelings and outright conflict that makes that family change completely, especially if mistakes are made in an estate plan. It's hard enough when a parent dies. It's harder still when that parent either didn't give the proper instruction in their estate plan, didn't have an estate plan, or wasn't clear with their intentions. Those siblings that got along okay when mom and dad was around relationship can change on a dime. Unfortunately, those tight familial relationships don't always last. And if there's any ambiguity, perceived favoritism, inequity, it can cause problems and it can be catastrophic for a family. So what are some things that we can do or consider in your estate plan so that this doesn't happen to your family? 
contrary to the belief that legal documents can sometimes cause conflict or disrupt family harmony, they often, in more, more cases than, than not, help preserve that relationship by providing a clear roadmap as to how things are going to be distributed, how things should be administered asset-wise. And so people know your wishes. So these children of yours <laughs> know your wishes with regard to your estate plan. And that reduces anxiety and it reduces conflicts amongst your children and siblings, right? And so legal documents really do help, okay? And that's what I do for a living. That's what I'm trying to impart here in this podcast is how important it is to have legal documents in place to prevent these issues. So I've come up with five do's and five don'ts to help avoid conflicts among children when a parent dies to preserve that sibling harmony, hopefully. So five don'ts I'm going to start with, okay? So the first don't is don't be ambiguous. Clearly outlining your wishes allows you to avoid pitfalls and potential conflicts that come up when those wishes are ambiguous, right? We're not mind readers. We haven't got that yet. We want to make sure that we're clear about how you want to distribute your assets, who you want to manage those assets and how, so that there's no issues with the kids. It's a major issue specifically if if something happens and it's not provided for in a will or a trust. So, for example, if someone dies, what happens if a, a child of yours dies? Where does their share go at that point? Right? If that's not clearly stated in there, that's going to be a problem. If you have executors, but you don't clear a path as to how they should manage the estate or deal with certain assets, that's going to be a problem. So don't be ambiguous. Okay. Don't number two, don't name co-executors or trustees that don't get along. So say, for example, this happens a lot, I guess. We'll start there. This happens a lot when there's a, two spouses that want a different person to act as executor. Okay. One spouse wants one kid, the other spouse wants the other. And sometimes what happens is they get slammed together and says, well, let's put them both together and they'll both do it together, right? The problem is if they don't get along well, that's going to be a disaster, right? If they don't get along well, they're not going to be able to work with each other. They're not going to be able to agree on how things are supposed to be done, who does what, how long it's supposed to take, how to treat certain siblings or beneficiaries, the first thing to ask is when, when I talk to clients, at least the first thing that I ask is, do these kids get along? Like what's their relationship like? And can they work together too? Right. You can be best friends and like, I love my brother and he and I get along. We like going, whatever, you know, camping together. I don't know. Whatever they like to do hobby wise. We like to go to the baseball game. I don't know. But do they work together well? Maybe they're maybe they're both lazy guys that are you know not going to be able to get anything done, and they're just going to be sitting around. And the rest of the kids potentially could be saying, "What are you guys doing? Why aren't you managing this estate?" Or you could get the opposite, where one of them's a not a go getter, we'll say, and the other one is like a type A, like we got to get this done, and that's going to be a conflict. Okay, and so the other thing too that comes up, I'll mention before I get to the next point is. In a second marriage, sometimes this happens too, where there's two sets of kids and we'll say, well, let's put one, one kid, one of my kids on one side and one of your kids on the other side. And that doesn't always turn into a disaster. Like not, not all of this stuff always turns into a disaster, right? We're talking worst case scenarios here. 
But oftentimes, if they don't even know each other, and then they're all of a sudden, their parents are dead, and they have to work together to figure things out, they might not even live in the same state, right? They could be in different parts of the country or the world. And that doesn't seem like it's going to make it very easy for them to manage this estate together. And so those kinds of things need to be considered when putting two people together that may or may not work well together. So number three, don't number three... Don't give a disinherit don't give a disinherited child one dollar. Okay. Sometimes we have estranged kids. They come up, right? Sometimes there's a kid that doesn't want to have anything to do with the family. They've cut themselves out, or you've cut them out for one reason or another. And a lot of the time there's a misconception out there that says, Well, if I don't give my kid something, they're gonna contest the will or the estate, right? And that's not true. That's a misconception. And it's even per- perpetuated by some lawyers. It's kind of an old fashioned thing, maybe. I don't know. It's not true, though. Here, So a lot of people want to give their kid a dollar. And so, that, well, we, we provided for them a dollar. And so now they're out. Okay. The opposite is exactly true. Okay. So when you give a kid or a beneficiary money, they become a beneficiary, right? So they can often request an accounting. They can still request an inventory. They can still ask questions of the court for the executor or the trustee, right? The trust can also get taken to court. And it basically gives them a door to say, hey, I want to look at everything and I want to know everything. The better solution to that, maybe this is a do, a sub, a do for this don't, okay, (laughs) is to just disinherit them, right? Don't give them anything. The language I typically use is I'm disinheriting so-and-so. I specifically make no provision for them in this document. Okay. That closes the door. That means they've got no right to contest. They've got no right for an accounting. I guess they can contest, but they've got nowhere to go from that. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing there. If it's clearly stated that there's a kid that's disinherited or a person that's disinherited, leaving a dollar just gives them the ability to make a mess of everything. So don't do that. Number four, don't give everything to one child and expect them to be able to distribute things as they feel is fair. Okay. There's several problems with this. So I, I meet clients all the time and well, I've got, I've got a daughter that I really, she's very fair. And I'm thinking, I just want to give everything to her and I know she'll make the right decision. Right. Or my son is so fair and he doesn't, he's not going to short anybody. I'm going to give everything to him and make sure that, you know, he can make that decision for the kids. Don't do it. The reason one is, first of all, the kid that you're giving it to has the ability to take it all, right? He's he or she has the uh, authority and is entitled to take everything. Okay. Because you gave them everything. They've got no obligation to give anything to anybody else. And number two, it puts a significant burden on them. Right. If this child of yours is the one that always wants to please mom and dad and do what they want them to do. Right. And the good kid that wants to follow mom and dad's wishes, that puts a significant burden on them to determine how much to give to the siblings. Right. And usually what it turns out to be, it's either the kid takes everything or everything split equally. Right. So you might as well just split everything equally, lay it all out. Split it equally if that's what you want to do. Give one more than the other if that's what you want to do. Give one less than the other, right? Cut somebody out completely if that's what you want to do. But don't put it on one kid to make that decision. 
And the other issue that comes up sometimes is if, if that child potentially has a, an estate issue of their own, like a taxable estate issue, they're gifting basically these assets that they received as an inheritance from you to their siblings. So there could be gift tax consequences that, that they may not have been intended, but that could come up, right? And that could maximize their tax credit that they get from the federal level. That's another story, but there can be gift tax consequences as well. So don't do it. Make it clear. Number five, this comes up a lot. Don't disinherit your special needs kid. So with a special needs child or adult, if they're on benefits, public benefits, like Medicaid or Social Security disability or something like that, there's strict requirements that they don't have certain assets, right? And getting a windfall from an inheritance can be catastrophic for their benefits. It can eliminate them completely. And so people say, well, I don't want to hurt their benefits. I'm not going to give them anything. And that's not always the best thing. Public benefits don't cover everything. They don't cover everything. And putting the burden on your kids was basically what happens is putting the burden on your kids to pay for anything not covered out of their own pocket for the special needs sibling that they have for uncovered expenses. And also, you know, it probably makes that kid feel pretty bad. Why didn't mom or dad give me anything? You know, just because I've, I've got an issue, why don't I get something, right? And so not losing benefits is a positive. That's a positive. That's the goal, right? But disinheriting them is not the answer. Okay. And we'll get to the do on that in a minute. So five do's. Do number one, clearly communicate your wishes with your family. If you're putting two kids together as executors, maybe ask them, so do you think you guys could work together on this? Meet with them, right? Discuss why you're considering it and what, you know, positive traits potentially each one has that, well, we really like that you can do this and you can do that. And I think the mesh will be great, right? Get their input. Would they even want to do it, right? If they don't want to do it, that's a problem. If they don't want to do it, don't do it, okay? And another thing to do is clearly communicate, like if we're given one of our kids more money than the others, and you think it's going to be a problem, talk about it, right? What if Johnny hasn't had the same abilities as Charles, right? Maybe Charles is doing really well and he's got a great job and he's got a house and he's got, you know, a lot saved for retirement, all this kind of thing. He's done really well. And Johnny's sort of scraping by and he doesn't have a house yet, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's Julie and she's got a great husband and he makes a lot of money. And oh yeah. And she's, she's independently wealthy, of course, as well. You know, does she really need the money? So talk about like, Hey, we're going to give Johnny a little bit more here. Give him a boost because even though Charles and Julie might be doing great and don't need the money for sure, it can still be a negative and a slight and cause relationship issues if Johnny gets everything or more than those other two. Okay. Another do on that regard too is if Johnny's getting everything or getting a big chunk and Johnny's proven to be irresponsible because he can't hold a job and he doesn't have a house and all these things, right? (laughs) Don't just hand Johnny that money. Okay. Do put it in a trust for his benefit. Okay. Maybe have Charles and Julie be the trustees of that trust. If they can work together, if they can't work together, have Charles do it or have Julie do it. Don't give money to Johnny if that money's going to go get blown on a 
you know, party weekend or at the casino or whatever his issues are, give, give him a hand by giving some direction and structure to his inheritance by using a trust to hold it. So that's a, that's a bonus due. Okay. That's going to be due number one, a maybe <laughs> in our list. So yeah, do a trust for a child that might have money issues. Okay. Do number two, do make specific bequests for personal property. We never think about the personal property, right? You've got a house full of stuff. It's ridiculous sometimes how much stuff we have in our houses, right? When you live a while, you get stuff, right? (laughs) And when your kids grow up in your house, they get attached to certain things of yours, right? And I really want my mom's doll collection. My mom had dolls, so that's the thing for me. She put notes on all these dolls that said who gets which doll, right? Which grandkid, which daughter. I didn't get any dolls, I don't think. I'm the son. But, you know, make sure you have a specific list for personal property. If if you know of a child that has a specific affinity for something, they want grandma's china set, give it to them, okay? If you have someone that's expressed interest in something, say, mom, dad, I'd really like to have that collection of baseball cards. I don't know. Put them down, right? Say, Johnny gets the baseball card collection. Okay. And if there's something like that both kids want or more than one kid wants, definitely specify who gets it. And ideally you have a conversation about this before that goes back to clear communication. Hey, Johnny really wants that baseball card collection. Charles, is it okay if I give it to him? I'm going to give you the coin collection. I don't, you know, trade-offs like that or sell it and trade split the money, right? That's another thing to do. Just say, well, we don't need to worry about our specific bequest. We're going to sell everything. You're going to donate it to charity. I don't know. But do make a list. Most of the plans, all of the plans actually that I do include a tangible personal property directive, which is basically a fancy word for a list of personal stuff that you want to go to certain people. And you can fill that out over time. It's really easy. You basically say grandma's China to Julie, you know, coin collection to Charles, baseball cards to Johnny. You know, that's kind of how you do it. And it makes it a lot clearer, a lot easier. Otherwise, we're fighting. I had a group of sisters as clients once who there was a ton of personal property. Mom was a hoarder. She had a ton of stuff. And we had to pick straws, basically. We had a, <laughs> meetings after meetings where we'd meet, pick straws at, at who gets to pick first, you know, as to what personal property they got. And then we re- reverse order. And no one's particularly happy with that kind of process. But that sometimes is what you have to do. Do number three, do provide for special needs children. How do we do that? Typically with a special needs trust. A special needs trust is a special trust designed to benefit people with special needs. The goal of that trust is to let them access money or have access to money while preserving their benefits from Medicaid or Social Security disability or whatever they're on. Okay, That special needs trust is designed to pay for things that are not covered under their benefit package. Okay, So clothing. That's not covered. You know, travel, not covered. What if they want to get a record player, CD player, right? Amazon Prime subscription. I don't know. That kind of stuff, right? That's not covered. And that money that you put in that trust can be administered by a trustee for their benefit and cover that stuff. It avoids putting the full burden of covering those incidentals onto the other kids, right? It's not cheap to cover that stuff 
right? That's not covered. And you don't want to put that burden on your other kids. And it just protects them. It just makes a lot more sense. It, it makes them feel better, right? Well, my mom and dad looked out for me. They put money in trust for me so that I didn't lose my benefits, but I have a little bit of extra money if I want to go on vacation. If I want to buy some new clothes, I can do it without killing my budget. You know, that kind of thing makes it way better. Do number four, do avoid probate. Avoiding probate makes this process of administering an estate much easier. Probate can be avoided in many different ways. We've talked about it a little bit on this podcast in previous episodes. A great way to avoid probate is instead of doing a will to do a revocable living trust, making beneficiary designations, transfer on death deeds, lots of different ways. Okay. Court and administrative delays add fuel to an already potentially contentious fire when mom or dad die. It creates the, I want my inheritance now kind of mentality from the non administrators of an estate. And that, that doesn't help anybody out. It makes the ones that don't have their money yet frustrated. It puts a huge weight on the people administering the estate, the executor, and we don't want to have to go to court. It causes court conflicts all the time. So ideally, if you can avoid probate, do it. It, it just makes it so much easier. Number five, do plan for estate taxes. So this is simple. So the vast majority of people can avoid estate taxes with some simple planning. Okay. Without proper planning, especially in the state of Washington, where we have a very low estate tax exemption level, which is just 2.1 million and change. And I've talked about this before. If you have a house in Washington and you've got a retirement account, you're, you know, working middle class and you've saved your some life insurance, you're pushing that 2.1 million, right? And without planning, you can end up putting your family through an ordeal of having to deal with an estate tax return, paying estate taxes potentially. Just filing returns a waste of time and a waste of money if you have to do it. If you can avoid it, do it, okay? And so make sure you plan for that. That's something to consider in your estate plan. Well, I've only got a million dollar estate, but well, you're 50 years old, right? If you don't put it in right away, the planning, make sure you monitor it. Look back at some of my previous episodes. We want to monitor and review our estate planning regularly. Okay. If you're one and a half million, put in the tax language. Okay. <laughs> like put it in. We're going to do a specific episode about this coming up when it's considered tax planning. But if you're in that, you know, ballpark, put it in. Don't delay because if you wait and you don't put it in and you pass away and then you have estate tax issues because, well, I didn't want to spend a little bit of extra money to do this version of a trust or whatever, or put it in my will, right? Don't wait, like try to save money to create a burden later. Okay. That's really what I'm saying. So now the story for this episode, and this story is, there's a couple of don'ts in this story. Okay. It's about the Johnson brothers. There's two kids. These parents died with two sons. And they were somewhat close as kids, right? They're very close in age within a couple years of each other. And the parents had a will. They had a will. Dad died, then mom died within short succession. And so they did a joint estate for their parents. And they were co-executors. Mom and dad named them co-executors on this estate. And we've talked about don't do that because it can cause problems. The issue in this estate is one of them lived here in Washington. The other one lived out of the country in Europe. He wasn't even in the country, right? So his time difference was like 10 hour difference or something like that. And so the client here 
who was actually my client, had to do all the legwork, right? He had to do all the legwork with the house and all the personal property and all this stuff. Well, his brother's over in Europe wondering what's going on and nitpicking the things that he's done and blaming him for things that go wrong. And so basically he had the full burden, right? The, the Washingtons had the full burden of doing this whole thing, but he had to answer to his whining brother out of the country, you know, who was doing nothing. Okay. So that was a problem, right? What happened to them is they had an attorney initially together that they represented them both, but they fought so much that they had to get their own, each have their own attorney so that they could talk to each other, right? The attorneys talked, they didn't talk anymore. <laughs> so it turned into a big contested fiasco and broken promises and deteriorated relationships. And it just didn't turn out great. Okay. The other thing that came up a lot in this case is there was a ton of personal property in this house. Mom and dad had, had traveled a lot during their lifetime and collected a lot of things from all different types of countries. Okay. And they also had a lot of art, things like that. And there was no specific list or bequests of any personal property. And what do you think happened, right? Both kids wanted certain things, okay? <laughs> and they had to fight about it. They had to, we had to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to determine who got what, right? And there was a lot of compromising, mostly on my client's side, just to keep the family together at all, okay? And so nobody walked away happy on that. And it caused rifts that who knows if they're ever going to overcome those rifts. Don't put your family through that. Okay. And so the moral of the story is, you know, make sure that you know what's going on. Right? <laughs> make sure that when you're putting an estate plan together, that you think about these kind of issues, right? Are my kids going to get along if I put them together as executors? Are they going to fight over every little thing? You're going to, you know, your kids, right? You know, your kids. And the other thing to consider too, I knew my kids when they were teenagers. Do I know them as well as adults? You know what I mean? What's changed? Is the dynamic changed in a way that you want to really consider not doing something that you may have considered doing previously? You know, things change, people change. And so you got to consider that kind of stuff. You got to consider the potential rifts and pitfalls that could be waiting for you or your family if you don't do the proper thing, right? If you don't consider these things. So the goal of my practice really, you know, estate planning is we want to make sure we have the right people in charge and we want to make sure that we distribute things properly and make sure people get what they're supposed to get. Right. But in reality, it's all about family harmony, really. Right. I'm not in the business of breaking families up and I want to make sure that I'm in the business of helping families stay strong, you know, because that's important. That's way more important than who gets grandma's China or who gets the baseball cards or the coin collection or this piece of jewelry or that, right? Family harmony is the thing that's really the most important thing. And I'll leave it with that. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Legacy Talk. If you'd like to follow along and subscribe to this episode, please do. If you'd like to learn more, please subscribe and follow on your various platforms for more great content. I've been your host, James Jones. To your legacy. Thank you for listening to the Legacy Talk podcast by attorney James A. Jones.
If you found today's episode helpful, we ask that you like and follow us on all major platforms so you don't miss out on the latest episode. If you have questions for Attorney Jones, reach out at info at joneslegacylaw.com or visit our website at joneslegacylaw.com. Join us again next week for another episode of the Legacy Talk Podcast.